We've got a lot to talk up. We got a lot to, yeah, to catch up on. So let's just kick this off. The guys, welcome to the Inspired Wild podcast. I am Trevin Stolswitz. I'm sitting here with Adam Peabody, Chris Honstein, and um, Lane and Eric have flown the coop. They had to get back, so they left today. So let's go back a couple days and just kind of recap this hunt, what you've seen, what you've encountered. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been a challenge in some regards, but then other regards. We talked about it the first podcast that we were coming in here blind. We've learned a lot. So, um, Chris, t- talk us through the last couple of days. Or at least kick it off, and then Adam can jump in. Well, like you know, like what you're saying, Trev. It is. It was a new country, and it was. It's. It's taken us a few days to figure out the country. And we started out at at points not even really seeing deer, and we started to um, look at different locations, different basins, studying them a little bit harder, and figuring them out. And what time? And you know, the moon didn't help us either. But anyways, <laughs> no, it didn't. The moon, I think, is what kind of really did kill us. But anyways, we started to see more deer. And, and at first, it was a lot of does. Um, but within given time, checking out different basins and stuff like that, we were we were starting to see the bucks. And now, I think, just figuring out <clears throat> the areas we've been in so far and checking these different basins, we're really starting to study them a little bit more. And now we're starting to, you know, pick up bucks here and there. Um, almost get some patterning. Yes, I mean, yes. in some ways, just the pattern to how these deer are moving, what they're keying on, you know, you know that it, you need three things. We need prime forage, we need water, and you need shelter. And a lot of times you're trying to figure out what's the limiting factor. Um, and they've got all three of those things. But like in the prime forage, we're finding out these bucks are really keying on these choke cherry bushes yeah and uh, so not only is it good uh as far as them keying and feeding but we're seeing a lot of bedding in that too and uh so with the moon being so bright it's it's actually kind of dropping off a little bit now but it's so you could go outside in the middle of the night and you don't need a headlamp it's so bright yeah, and, and it's it's definitely it's definitely hampered us um, as far as seeing deer when you should see them when the moon's not out. Um, but like I said, there were some tactics that we started using, you know, you know, kind of helping each other out, giving each other ideas, guiding each other a little bit. And then um, when Lane was here, uh, we used to be uh, hunting together a lot, so we knew each other's ways. So we tried some different type of things too. We actually were trying to do a little bit of midday. Um, slowly spot and stock, I guess, if you still, want to call it. More, I, still I'd hunting. Say still hunting. You yeah, guys would, yeah. you guys were working through, especially when you knew there were bucks in there. You were still hunting through some of those aspen groves. Yeah, and we had a a really good eagle eye with us in Tanner. Um, there was times that we were actually when we tried what we were talking about, like, hey, let's just take our time, still hunt through the aspens. That was just a new technique we tried because everything else was it was hard to find a, a deer to bed down. And do a spot and stock on it because they were it was just very scarce finding these bucks um so yesterday we did try that and in some way it was success we we, we saw some deer we we got within some range uh didn't get a shot um 
but it was another idea um, seeing what we've been up against and just trying different tactics and stuff to, to uh, try to be successful in this type of country. Um, I got places in Colorado that I know like the back of my hand, so it makes it easier. Here, we've really had to study it and figure out what basins they're in and the consistency. And so like even tonight, we found some of those deer in the same places that, you know, we actually kind of bumped them a couple nights ago, but we found them back in there again, and that's been very helpful. Right, right. And that's when you guys had gone down thinking there's one buck and you ended up i think there was four yeah ended up being four down there and uh just to confirm this is day six for us day six day six day five of hunting i was day wondering why you were taking your shoes off <laughs> <laughs> over there <laughs> but uh no um just to kind of recap the last few days is um <clears throat> in the last podcast we covered uh a couple of good bulls and basins that uh Travis and myself and uh had spotted some bucks in along with some bulls and it seemed like some really good country uh we spent another morning in there with nothing yeah it like it went cold yeah absolutely cold and uh that that was a discouraging day we spent a lot of time glass and a lot of time uh moving around checking new country and it just didn't really pay off for anything but uh this morning was probably was my first stock. I finally was able to get an arrow knocked, um, and it was a surprise. It wasn't a planned encounter at all. We weren't prepared for it, but we were able to adapt while moving into where we wanted the glass this morning. We ended up uh, running into some does that had a very nice buck with it. Uh, Which is weird for this time of year. Yeah. Because normally you, the, the the bigger bucks aren't running with any does at all. Yeah. They're in bachelor groups. Right. And, uh, you know, luckily we were able to spot him, which was one buck, four does. We saw some more does up on the hill where we had seen some bucks before that Chris and Lane tried getting a stock on. And, uh, yeah, so we made a move. And it was actually really great country to do it. It was open. uh choke cherry bushes with a lot of wildflowers and a lot of those terrace where we could drop down yeah, in rolling it, hills. It's literally like every, what, 10 yards? It, it's about every 10 yards that it flattens out for about three yards and then it drops down again. And it's nice, easy transitions, but it's about a foot to two feet uh, below the uh, the next level. So it, it's easy to maneuver and get down. And uh, the funny thing is, is while we were stalking these uh, two younger bucks, we started encountering more hunters. And was, yeah, and that was weird. The way, uh, I, we don't know that they're Utahians or what do you say, how do you say, you, you, from Utah, we don't know if they're natives. natives, the residents, but the way they were hunting that country is they were literally just walking through quite a bit of country yeah just just going for a stroll in the middle of the open of the field right and uh at one point they got in within 60 yards of you trev had no idea you were there no they got no uh, we were about 150 yards away and the deer uh, we were watching the deer and they he got to within 60 yards of the deer and the deer because of those terraces there's enough uh undulation in the in the topography he didn't know the deer was there. The deer and and the deer didn't know that he was there either. 
because the wind was just right. But he just kept walking. Yep. He was on a mission. And the whole time when I was maneuvering around the hill with a set plan and a set thing is we're dodging hunters, we're dodging cows, we're dodging <laughs> the terrain for it. It, it, it. There were so many facets to the stock, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm that you just was it wasn't between you and the deer it was between you and other animals and other people that frankly had no idea what they were doing yeah but uh that ended up not being very successful they uh, fed right up until the sun broke over the horizon and they pushed right back out of the I aspens. mean as soon as the sun hit, hit started lighting that up they it was like somebody turned off the, the, the you know turned the switch off and they went into the thick stuff yeah, we did some still hunting in there, and we knew they were in there, but after running into a doe, it just, it wasn't going to be a productive day, and uh, we ended up pulling out and reconvening for the day, and tonight, Chris and myself both got a nice stock in. Uh, unfortunately, I blew mine out at 80 yards, but the topography just makes it extremely difficult with these choke cherries, where essentially it's at neck level for these deer. So when they're popping their heads up to scan around the hillside around them, periodically, that's your only time to really see them. Right, and, and you, that's your only, if you were going to shoot them at that time, all you have is a next shot, which you're not going to take, of course, but uh, it's good and bad. Yeah. It's good because when they're feeding, they disappear and they can't see you either, but it's bad because you have to let them feed into an opening or you're not going to have a chance. Yeah, you can walk in with 20 yards and never know it was there. And that's some of those tactic changes we've had to apply since getting here. It's taken us four days to iron out what we need to do. Well, talk about that a little bit. Talk about the changes that we're making now that we're seeing a lot of success in because I think people can learn from this. Yeah, I mean, coming from Colorado, Utah, it's a different approach. I mean, it's not unheard of, but it's setting your spotters on an opposite ridge or an opposite valley of your hunters and using those spotters to identify and direct your your hunters into the, a prime location to get that shot. And by doing that, the hunter can concentrate on being quiet, you know, working the wind correctly, and they don't have to, uh, you know, that still hunting, you're always on the alert and everything like that. You, you, you get enough information from, like, in... Tonight, uh, Tanner and I were were your spotters, yeah. And we picked out the bucks, and then we were able to communicate to you, hey, you know, go down, go, go over, come around the aspen grove, and then you guys were able to do that. Unfortunately, it, it's hard for the spotter to know the elevation changes of the terrain across a valley, right? And it is much easier for a spotter just to pick out that deer in that chokecherry bushes. But when I was approaching, I knew where he was. Mm-hmm. I had been in there for three days, and I knew the topography. I knew the the layout. I knew exactly where he was with your information. The problem is, is the approach is so difficult. The... The side of the hills have are covered in these dried out foliage, and it all lays flat. It's not even vertical, so you can't pick your way through it slowly, because wherever you step, you're crunching a leaf. Right. And getting into aspens, and then getting across sagebrush, and then getting into choke cherries, I'm battling not just a aspen grove and using trees to hide behind. 
I have open spaces. I got loud terrain. I got, you know, elevation changes. There's so many factors into that as you're performing the stock that you have to be mindful of. And that buck just so happened to have an angle where when you guys were coming around the Aspen Grove, I saw him come up and he was looking dead straight at you and I saw you stop and freeze and you're looking dead. And how far were you from him at that time? 150 yards maybe? Uh, after, we had a stare off for about probably five or six minutes and we were able to stay still enough for him to lose interest. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he turned and moved back into the choke cherries, I ranged and he was 130. Okay. And that's when we got the information that he was moving away from us through the choke cherries. You know, at a walking pace, but we beat feet. We got down into the Aspens. We cleared 30 yards of noisy foliage, got into the Aspens, was able to move quiet, covered another 20 yards of sagebrush, got into the choke cherries, and he had moved into the next grove of Aspens, and that arranged him at 80 yards. And his backside was to me. He was pointing away from me, so he didn't really perceive a threat at that point. And, when and you I had the wind right. Had the, the wind was perfect. The wind was perfect. I knew that he was getting some of those uh, wind noise within the aspens. It was going to cover my approach. And once again, the foliage is just so loud. And he blew out at 80 yards, ran up the ridge a little bit, walked, looked back, and he had no idea what it was. He just was trusting his instincts at that point, and uh, he bounded off and, and blew out. The uh, interesting thing is in the middle of that stalk – you were able to communicate to us that two ridges over right. is some better bucks. Right. And for a second there, I thought, do I abandon this two by two? Was it a two by two? Yeah. Okay. I he, couldn't he, tell if he, he was a three by three or he was, was four three. <laughs> he might have had a, a small little kicker out there, but he was as wide as his ears. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and taller. So it was something that was going to fit within my realm of what I wanted to take. And when I got information that there was three by threes and four by fours, two ridges over, for a second there I thought, do I pull out? He's seen me. Do I abandon this stock? Mm-hmm. And do I try to take on another opportunity at a fresh stock? And with Chris behind me, we communicated, and I told him, I said, just go. Take the camera guy, go, and try right. to pull off another stock. Right. Which it was fortunate because you guys had, had got, were able to communicate – and so, Chris, um, you know, at this point, you hadn't blown this. He hadn't blown out of there at this point. And Chris, you turned, grabbed Matt, who was running camera for you, and you guys hot-footed. You had to cover country. Yeah, we had to. <clears throat> so before we went down, Matt and I, seeing as he was being my cameraman, we decided to talk and make a plan. So our plan was to get in there and help Adam get his deer and do whatever we needed to do. At one point, I was going to stay at Adam's side to arrange for him so he didn't have to worry about that. But Matt and I talked, and we're like, if they, if somebody communicates to us that there's deer in another drainage, not in the same one, of course, if there's one another drainage, we'll let Adam just continue his stock. We'll back out as, you know, as quiet as we can without blowing his stock. Well, just so happens, it was told to us that there were some deer in the next drainage, and the good part about that was Lane and I and Tanner were in that drainage the day before, two days before? Two days before. Two days before. So we're really familiar with the area. So when Tanner was communicating to me, 
where this other group of deer were, it made it easier, but we had a lot of um, we had a lot of ground to cover. It was over 300 yards to crest the next ridge, and and we had maybe 30 minutes of light. Yeah, of 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 shooting light left. So Tanner just you know community you know where they were told me, he said you just need to haul tail. You guys got to get over there quick. And Matt and I made a plan. We're like let's just back out. And we what we were doing is when we we're backing out too. We kept looking over at Adam. We did not want to get into an open area where it would blow his stock. So we got across. We felt comfortable enough. We knew where we were going. We got into a little grove of cedars, I think it was. <clears throat> and we were looking around scanning. We talked to Tanner, and he's like, they're, you know, they're another ridge over. So I think we went one, two, almost three or, um, drainages over to catch up to these deer. And well, they, they didn't start there. We, uh, Tanner first saw them. They were only one ridge over. Yes, yes. But they were feeding, kind of, and moseying. So it wasn't like a slow. It was a it, well. Deer can slow feed pretty quickly, but they were definitely heading out. So you guys had to. You weren't chasing them because they didn't know you were there. No. But you were trying to, to to close that gap. Yeah, and so when he told us, you know, where we were the day before on a previous stock with Lane, um, I had a good idea where they were coming. Every time we got to a point, they were a little bit farther ahead of us. So we, we covered the ground. We knew the aspens they were in. We slowed down. And think I, from what Tanner was telling me, I was looking lower. And Matt just happened to spot them, which was a benefit. We got in there, and we did see a really good buck. We, were, we got within 75 yards. And we had plenty of light left, but it was going quick. And at one point, we thought we had the buck, about 75 yards. So we were trying to cover a little bit of ground with a little bit of light we had, but we still had enough shooting light. And we were actually trying to get within like 60, 55 yards. And then we realized that the deer that we saw on top was the doe. And the buck had just moved down a little bit. But they weren't spooked. They were feeding. And then we started to run out of daylight. And we just decided, you know, they're feeding. They don't want to, they, they, they do not know we are here. Mm-hmm. So our best plan was, and we both talked about, hey, let's just back out real quiet, let them feed, and then maybe they'll be there tomorrow and give us another chance. So that's, that's what we did. We got close in a short period of time, but if we had a little bit more light, who knows, we might have got the shot. I think you played it right because most likely those deer are going to be in that same general vicinity when in the morning and if you i mean you know it's it's a toss of the coin but you can we can make a plan for the morning and you can go to where you hope bucks are or you can go to a place where okay we know they were in here last night they're not going to leave that basin no they might be a ridge over but they're not going to leave that basin. So the, 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 the difficult part comes in. We know, according to your stock this morning, like you were sharing, when that sun hit, gets up, that's going to be, they're going to be hightailing it for thick cover. And the, and the thought too, Trev, is when we were talking about this, we feel like that was the same buck that Tanner had spotted in the drainage the day or two days before when Lane and I were in there. He didn't go very far. Right. And so we felt like just by backing out 
even though we're running out of daylight, that was the best thing to do anyways, but let's not spook them. So we actually hiked out a little ways away from them before we went uphill mm-hmm. and got away from them. That way they just, you know, keep feeding and hopefully maybe tomorrow morning we might spot them in there, get another stock and have more time in the morning uh, to do it. But we felt like that was the same buck and he didn't go very far. I know we bumped him that one night with Lane, but to see him back in there, we feel that's the same one. To see him back in there, we're like, you know, he's going to stay here now. Right. The biggest problem we face with morning hunts is, to kind of give a visual representation of this, is this valley bottom runs north-south, and choke cherries are growing on the western face. Mm-hmm. The eastern face is all pine. It's all sagebrush. There's not good quality undergrowth for their feeding. And... They're going to feed up in the morning. The problem is, is our window for that morning hunt is going to be less than we have in the evening. It's going to give us probably 30 minutes to 45 minutes, a good quality time that they're going to be up out of that basin and on that ridge line, hillside, and feeding before they go back down at the very bottom and just tuck in to the heavy timber and bed for the day. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's been the hardest part, Adam, is um, we have not been able to get one of these bucks spotted bedded. No. And, and that's been the hardest part because, you know, the, it's not easier, but the easier way is to bed a buck, get your wind right, and do a spot and stock. These deer we've kind of run into in the evenings, they're up feeding and they're moving around, so it makes it kind of difficult mm-hmm. to get on them that way. In the mornings, we're trying to find them right away and then see if we can put one to bed and then make the stock a little bit easier because they're staying in one spot. And that's been a struggle here because we have not been able to do that. Right, exactly, exactly. And let's talk about that real briefly. Let's talk about a couple of the different tactics that we've seen. Uh, we've we've tried, we've utilized, um, and then, you know, what we're seeing other people do and then how we've changed and adapted. Um, you know, I think when we got here, um, the idea was to spot them, bed them down, and and then stalk them. And it took us a couple days to, I think, to come to the realization that that's not going to happen. It's because there's t- it's too thick, and even when it appears to not be thick, uh, you know, we keep bringing up the choke cherry patches, but those things are four and a half, five foot tall. Yeah. And so if a bed, if a deer wants to bed in those, he is going to, di- or she is going to disappear. Um, or they're going to go into these quite large aspen pockets and the underbrush growth there, as we saw this morning with Adams, uh, when he still hunted through it, is you're just not going to be able to get through there quietly enough to get, as you glass through and you still hunt, you know, with a cameraman, stuff like that. It's just too difficult to get through there undetected. Yeah, for the amount of animals in here, the game trails are not that great. The cows have made great ones yeah. on the countryside, but going through that thick aspens and undergrowth, it's just not there. You can't cover ground fast. You can't get on a trail and, and uh, flank quietly. a deer quietly. It's just not going to happen. Right. I mean... uh Clearly from what we've noticed 
how the locals have hunted around here or well, who the people are in this unit. Road hunting is a primary. Yeah. I think they're just thinking something's going to be, is going to stand up or right off the road. Which, which they have. We, we've ran into multiple does crossing a row, road or off the side of it, but there's never any bucks. The bucks aren't doing that at all. Uh, the population difference between does to bucks is huge. Uh, so road hunting and then taking your bow for a walk and then just still hunting. Those are the three tactics that we've seen. We have not noticed anybody else spotting or glassing to the extent that we have. Let alone even hiking in. I or mean. hiking in. It's just, yeah, it's, that's just well, the tactics and Chris, we you guys really did, you guys have been probably the most aggressive. And when I say you guys, when it was you and Eric, Tanner, and Lane, you guys went on a couple of walkabouts, which were, you know, uh, not super hard but you know you you were mile mile and a half whatever and um and you were actually had some opportunities uh with some smaller bucks where you you didn't jump them up but you 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 were working through country and you spotted them and you and you know maybe they saw you maybe they didn't whatever but you were able to get a few opportunities but those weren't high percentage plays no, and, and they weren't. And I, I tell you what, the, the benefit of knowing who your hunting partner is, um, like I've said multiple times, Lane and I have hunted a long time together. This is one of our first hunts together in five years. But we knew how each other, uh, you know, or, you know how to act. You know, like if something was wrong, I'd tell Lane, he would tell me. And so I know Adam brought up the thing about, you know, the different obstacles we have to overcome one that was beneficial to us was the cattle Mm -hmm. so what had happened on the stock lane and i went on and i don't know if you want to call it stock i guess it was we were actually getting ready to go hike up a mountain to glass and we spotted a couple deer one was uh i think it was a three by two buck and a doe and i had been watching them as lane and uh tanner were getting ready and they just moved into between two groves of uh, aspens. And I looked at Lane and I said, those deer just went in between there. We can, the wind's in our face. We can actually get down to these aspens over here, walk through the aspens, and probably get, find those deer in the middle between the two groves, which we did. The benefit was to it, like Adam had brought up, the ground is so crunchy and dry. The cattle benefited us. They were in there with us, and those cow, those cows were making a lot of noise in there. So I think, in our opinion, the deer were thinking, well, just the cattle are, and they're making the noise. And Lane and I and Tanner were able to get in with 55 yards when we spotted the doe, and they were just feeding, but we were using those uh, the cattle as a benefit, plus... As almost like a distraction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and plus that we had the benefit of hiking down and then getting the the first aspen grove as our block and we hiked in through and we were right there um lane had a a clear shot and uh we just had a different uh, i think lane caught some grass he ranged for Mm -hmm. 60 you know i was like there's 65 he was calm and cool when he made the shot i actually was really excited i thought he actually shot the deer and i think uh tanner thought the same thing and the fact of it was, is that when we came to it, he had a clean miss. Uh, the deer did jump up like it got hit in the lungs. 
and we had talked about it and I, I told Lane, I said, did you hear when I said it was 65? And he's like, I didn't hear that. He goes, I shot for 60. But this was one of those other type of tactics we had to use because of what we've been going through in this country because you can't get these deer, you can't find them bedding down. And after that had happened, you know, we did go up on top of the mountain. We did a bunch of glassing. Tanner spotted another group of deer um, in this aspen grove that they were going into. And our thought was, what do we have to lose? So we hiked over got into those aspens and basically like you were saying we were still hunting and we didn't find them in there but we decided to go ahead and still hunt out of our way out of there and we ran into some more deer and it was a uh, i don't know if you want to call it successful or not we did get within range again and lane got me on one i drew back and when i started to set my pin in that deer just they just moseyed off they didn't really like spook but these were, like I said, these were some of those tactics that you're talking about. We had to think outside the box, I guess, in this type of country. I just, uh, for me, it's so hard um, to, uh, I don't want to say waste time because you're not. You're hunting. You're actually out there doing something. You're making it happen. And, and part of that is your mental state. It helps keep you focused. It helps keep you in the game. But uh, for me... I. I tend to be one of the guys that I'll sit in glass. Sure. And um, so what we're doing now is much more my style. And, and I shouldn't say it's really my style. It's a style I've learned over the years from Dave, from Adam Wells, you know, from other guys that I've hunted with, that it, when you have the amount of people that can you can set up glass, you get one found, especially in country like this where you can't get them bedded down and then you talk the other guys in it it's just a better in my opinion a better for this type of of a hunt this type of conditions a better higher success ratio now we we have we have an arrow to buck so it's not completely <laughs> successful but i wouldn't you guys agree that our it's our, given our, us our best opportunities it's given us our best opportunities well and, and, and i've noticed too and i think we've all talked about this each day as we've learned we've gotten closer right and we've got more opportunities <clears throat> now maybe not all shooting opportunities or being able to draw back on one but we're being getting closer opposed to where we were before and your tactic is is excellent i loved it it really helped us a lot because like adam was talking about earlier you guys are looking at us and that terrain is you know we're dealing with stuff you guys can't really right. tell what we're dealing with right. so but the guidance is is so beneficial because you're just you're giving us landmarks mm -hmm. and that that has really helped us a lot and we're getting closer um so uh, for me uh, i think also another being on the other end of it where someone's walking me in there's something to be said for when i cannot <coughs> see that buck but yet i know he's still there i i go slower i'm more cautious um <clears throat> a lot of times if i can't see the buck and I don't have that communication. Or I don't have somebody, uh, you know, tell, sending information to me to to let me know that that buck is still there. Then I want to rush it because yeah. I'm like, oh, he's going to get up and he's going to leave. Yep. And by doing that, I'm louder. I'm more careless. Um, I blow, I blow more stocks. And so I've found that just that little bit of of hey, that buck is still there. Or maybe he's, okay, now he's feeding to the left. Okay, I can change my tactic 
and get down in front of him. Now, now it becomes an ambush situation, much more in my favor. Um, so for us, I think, and we talked about it earlier, if we had a couple more days and, and, and tomorrow's our last day, um, we're going to hunt the morning and then we're going to come back, break camp and, and head back to Colorado. But if we had a couple more days, there's no doubt in my mind that we would fill some tags. And I want to say one thing to your point you just said. That ground uh, Matt and I had to cover, knowing when to slow down was beneficial because we were really hauling across that those mm-hmm. two ridges. And then finally, when we got there in the Aspens right, you know, when you get over the sagebrush hill, that's when we slowed down. Mm-hmm. And then we started tiptoeing, and that's beneficial. We knew they were there. We just that's when we knew just when to slow down and not push it, like you were just saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For, and in your situation, though, you were you you knew you had to get some speed because they weren't spooked, but they were feeding away from you. Yeah. So you so every step you took, they were taking a step. So you had to take two steps to their one step to, <laughs> and yet you're fighting also the fact that the sun's dropping. But yeah, like you said, you're, what you were talking about, that was so beneficial to us because we were covering that ground right. quick. But then me and Matt looked at each other and we're like, okay, this is where we slow down. Right. Now let's take our time. And we did. We got in there. We got close. I think 75 yards. But then that's when we were like, let's just back out. Yeah, That's smart. And on the way home tonight, I was thinking about the stock and how it blew out and how Chris is in it. They backed out on theirs is... I really wasn't disappointed. I, I mean, I was 80 yards, and I knew that what I did wasn't really as much as a factor as what the train was. Mm-hmm. But I have learned in the last five days a set of skills for hunting mule deer that I did not have right. before I came for this trip. So, yeah, this tag may not get filled. I have one morning left, and the mornings have been the least successful time for us. But, you know, I'm not going to count it out. But the simple fact is what I've learned in five days in the terrain I've seen and the the behavior that I've monitored from these elk, I mean, assuming these deer, is invaluable. Right. You you can't buy it. Right. You can't buy these experiences. And sometimes filling that tag, while it's a great feeling of accomplishment— I think people can get negatively focused on that is the symbol of success. Exactly. I, and, I, you, I couldn't have put it better myself. And it's it's not. And mm-hmm. that's something I've just learned. I mean, this is my fourth season, but every day, every encounter, every minute I spend watching an animal develops those behavior patterns in my mind that I can recall in that next situation that I'm in. Right. And, and i like to back you up on that because <clears throat> I actually thought the same thing. I mean, we all like to fling arrows and fill some tags, but I was like, the stocks that we've gone on, the fun we had, and sharing a camp with a lot of different hunters I've never hunted with before, everybody's got a lot of ideas, and they're beneficial to see different sides of people's tactics. But as as I was leaving tonight, I had the same thought. I was like, that was fun. We had another stock. You know, we didn't get a, you know, shoot an arrow or nothing. But the experience and everything we were doing, I mean, you just carry that with you into your next your next hunt. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 well said because 
success does not come from notching tags. Success comes from learning and 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 a shared experience and a shared adventure, if you will. Um, so yeah, I, I I think I I haven't been on a stock yet, and I'm having a great time because for me, it's not about killing. Um, and part of it is we talked about this earlier too. I think Chris. Um, you and I are talking. Uh, I've got two freezers full of meat, and I've got lots of hunts lined up this year. As me as well. And and so for me, I'm. I just why why just go kill any deer? Not that it's been that. Not that we could just go kill any deer. But I mean, right. I'd rather have you guys be able to share in that experience from a support role and so that's been kind of cool for me because um a lot of times because of the show and stuff like that i'm the guy hunting and um so i think maybe maybe i could say that comes from a little bit of maturity but maybe um <laughs> absolutely yeah but absolutely it's been it's been a great hunt and and i've done oh man i don't know how many times i can tell you that that last morning we talked about that you too. know we, there's been a lot of times where it's like that shared experience, that shared knowledge you get, it just keeps compounding every day. And then that last morning, it all comes together. Yep. Yeah. So it's, folks, it's still out there, man. We, we are not done yet. We've got another try in the morning and it is getting late as it always is. We get back about nine o'clock, start start uh start dinner and then by the time we do dinner then we pull out the podcast gear and we're ready to get hit the hay and we be at it again at 4 30 in the morning so um but it's been a it's been a great hunt it's been a great hunt and i feel like even with my experience um you know it's it's great to see things through the eyes of someone like you adam that that you know you you you're in your fourth season learning and sometimes it's 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 a good reminder of why we do this absolutely so well it's great guys uh, i'm looking forward to it I had a great day it's been a great six days now that we know it's not five but six <laughs> days we've been here um and uh we'll take the fight to them in the morning absolutely looking forward to it all right as always y'all go out find what stirs you inside your those wild places and embrace them god bless them We'll talk to you soon.